calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm your host, S.E. Fleenor, and I am super delighted to be here today with another of our hosts and my good buddy. Oh, my name is Sarah Century. Hey, Sarah. It's very cold where I'm at. <laughs> Being cold means that it takes you longer to think. And so I forgot what my name was for a hot second. <laughs> Welcome to... And why is it so cold, Sarah? Because you refuse to turn the Because I'm on. thermostat dad and I'm just like, no, don't touch the thermostat. It's where it needs to be. Unless you're paying the heating bill, you don't touch that thermostat dial. And my pets just look at me quizzically like, we have fur, girl. Like, you're the one... <laughs> You're the one that's cold. cold. And I'm just like, we won't be heating this place. What are you trying to do? Heat the indoors? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> I love it. Just had a moment where I was just like, let's just talk about this for the next 20 minutes. But actually, we have a way more interesting <laughs> thing to talk about <laughs> um what you've all joined us here today for which is our interview subject and i hope soon to be friend eliza victoria <laughs> thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me it's so funny i'm, I'm just listening to you talk about heaters and thermostats <laughs> i have to say coming from a tropical country coming to a hot country like australia i'm currently in sydney i'm like what are those <laughs> <laughs> what are heaters. <laughs> so you have a heating system in your home? Okay. Like you're not trying to cool <laughs> things down constantly? That's very odd. I know. <laughs> Oh, before we started recording, you were talking about um, wearing gloves inside your house. I'm like, what? <laughs> well, just so you know, okay, that's anyway. also weird here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you wanted, um, well, going all over the place. Here we are. Welcome to Thermostats. This is the Thermostat podcast. We're actually going to only talk about thermostats. (laughs) I hope um, you've got opinions. (laughs) So anyway, I am Eliza Victoria, thermostat expert. Um, (laughs) All right. um, I write... Horror, science fiction, fantasy, and everything in between. I am, like I said, originally from the Philippines. I moved to Sydney in 2018, and I'm still here. Um, especially when the pandemic happened, I'm like, well, I guess I'm staying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, we're so excited. I have a uh... After Limbana, just sitting right in front of me, and it is oh. so pretty. I just want to talk about it. 
But yeah, I have a few <laughs> questions because I don't know what order anything came out in. I know that after mm. Limbana was something that you worked on for a long time. Is that correct? Yeah, that's true. So um, I guess talking about the origins of the, the comic book. Um, so before, after Lambana came out, I already had uh, three titles under my belt. I have a short story collection, a science fiction novel, and another dark fantasy novel. And I was at a comic book convention in Manila. And I have my books displayed in front of me. I have like a like a time slot for signing. And I can see people going by my table and they'll be, you know, sort of excited looking at the covers of those titles and flicking through the books. Um, and then seeing the look of disappointment pass over their faces when they realize it's prose and not <laughs> graphic novels. <laughs> and so I was just like sitting at the table being like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, and then... Yeah, and then just sort of realizing that there's a huge segment of the Filipino reading public, I I guess, that doesn't um, access my stories just because they don't um, read prose or are not interested in reading prose or they're, you know, just wanting wanting to just read more comic books. And the Philippines has a very strong comic book community, Um, a lot of artists that just do it DIY sort of thing. Like they print it themselves, they photocopy it, sell it at the tables in comic book conventions. Later on, they find publishers and then, yeah, and then enjoy sales from that. And then I thought, I mean, I love reading comic books um, and I never tried writing one. So I just put it as like a challenge for myself, I guess. Like maybe I'll write one. <laughs> um, especially after that. <laughs> After that um, experience where I was like, well, just you wait, you know, <laughs> you will come out with a title. Um, yeah, so I started, um, after Lambana actually started as like this weird list of magical diseases that I'm, I was just working on. That's like, I don't even know if I was thinking of publishing that list, to be honest. It's just, I guess, just a writing exercise. Mm-hmm. And then... Later on, I was like, um, I wonder what will happen if I follow someone who's sick with one of these um, illnesses. And that's where it started. I just, um, I guess before that, I mean, before writing fiction, I was reading a lot. Just I read everything I can get my hands on. So it just followed that before starting to write the comic book script, I would read comic book scripts. (laughs) So I just... Yeah, so I just found scripts online and there was an edition of Marvel 1602 uh, written by Neil Gaiman right. that came with the script or not the whole script, but just a bit of it, like a few pages. Right, and the part of the afterward, right? Like they just kind of tag it on at the end of the book from what I remember. Yeah, true. So yeah, so um, with his notes and all that, I would read um, film scripts. So I just sort of learned the language. Like, um, I mean, my bachelor's degree is in journalism and I also took um, film classes so film electives so I sort of knew you know medium shot long shot close-up that sort of thing Mm -hmm. that's that kind of language um, in script writing so I used that and I reached out to Mervyn whom I knew from his series Tabipo which is available online at the time like he hasn't published it yet in paperback so I just knew him from his art and it just looked amazing so I was just thinking oh you know like I'll pitch it to him and see if he's willing to work with me and when I pitched it to him I already had the full script like it's all written out and I was like if he said no well I guess I'll just move on and find someone who can work with me because I can't draw myself to save myself I guess um Mm -hmm. Yeah, not my school set. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> so I pitched it to him and he was excited to um, like draw urban landscapes because Tabipo is mainly set in, the setting is rural. So it's a lot of like farmlands and fields and he's like, oh, now I can draw buildings. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and graffiti and, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say is he wrote a really nice afterword yeah. 
for like that is in the back matter that's lovely. And I was going to say, I feel like you're kind of underselling because what he said is that his <laughs> comic had sort of taken off and he got a bunch of people asking Aww. him to work with him on scripts, but he chose you. So I'm just going to say okay. that feels significant. Um, yeah, the afterwards, nice. And then that was one of the big things he spoke about was like, oh, it was so fun to draw cars and graffiti <laughs> yes. and buildings. And I was like, oh my gosh. Isn't it so wonderful when you read a comic book that has a city that looks like it's being lived in? Like it looks like a city mm, that's real yes. and that you can almost touch like the graffiti on the wall, you know, like there's, it's just like, I grew up reading, um, you know, superhero comics and stuff. And I yes. used to think that New York looked like a Spider-Man comic. <laughs> and then you like look at New York and you're like, oh yeah, there's so much else going on here. That was one of the things I actually did want to ask about because mm. there there is such a connection to the scenery in this. And so I just wanted to yes. know, was that a conversation between the two of you? Like, were you, mm. were, were you engaging with the scenery on the same level that the art was? Yes. Yeah, so when I, so I pitched it to him and he said yes. And I was like, here you go. Here's all, <laughs> here's the whole story. <laughs> yeah. So it's a full script. And I think he also mentioned it in the afterward um, that it's, Written like a film script. So it's everything, camera angles, what the background is going to look like. It's all written in, in my script. So even like the texture of the city, um, I wrote in there like even what the graffiti is going to say. Oh. Um, yeah, so it's like, it's, you know, based on the Manila that we know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because when I was writing the script, I was already working in the city. I grew up, um, in the province, so not in the city, like in the rural area. So I'm more familiar with, you know, the farmlands that Mervyn is um, sort of at this point sick of drawing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So it, I guess it's one of the pleasures of working in this medium because I've been writing fiction before working on the, on the After Lambana script. And in my head, I mean, I write in English and that's fraught with colonialism, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I'm Filipino writing in English, so that's always going to be, going to come with its own baggage, um, which I guess is a whole nother discussion. But yeah, so I'm, I write in English, but in my head, it's all Filipino characters. Um, most of my settings is in the Philippines. Even if it's not set in the Philippines, um, for example, if I write, a story set in Bangkok, Thailand, for example. The the POV character is Filipino. Um, and I'm not sure at times if that comes across. Like um, the, the novel that came before, after Lambana is called Dwellers, which won the, the Philippine National Book Award. Some people come to me and say, because I don't say the name of the city, you know, like I don't give... Um, I guess, cultural markers. Like, I don't name the university that the characters go to, um, the streets that they walk down on. But in my head, you know, it's the Philippines. But some people, they'd come to me and be like, oh, imagine it as like anywhere, any place, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, which frustrates me sometimes because I'm like, I can't describe every little thing, you know, and be like, this is the Philippines yeah. and this is the Filipino writing this yeah. freaking story, you know? <laughs> but but with the comic book medium um, and working with an artist, you have the texture, you have that visual already. And so I don't need to, like, it's undoubtedly a Filipino comic book, even if it's written in English and even if the characters are speaking in English. Yeah, so I guess... Yeah, that's why, uh, yeah, it's a delight, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was, um, that reminds me of a conversation I've seen a lot of, a lot of people talking about, which is sometimes, you know, and I'm going to talk about white authors specifically. A lot of mm. white authors will not describe the race of characters or mm. only describe the race of characters who they think are Other. different, yeah. which is like, hmm, who yeah. are you describing then? Yeah, hmm. I know. And, <laughs> The the thing is, right, like a lot of white readers, we we put ourselves yes. into these narratives. And so we project like, oh, this is a white person. Oh, in a white environment. Mm -hmm. And so that tension is tough. But I think that's what's so exciting. Like you were saying about the comic form is yeah. this is this is undeniable. This isn't London. This isn't yes. New York. This isn't exactly. L.A., you know, like yeah. this is 
Manila and you can see that and yes. it's, it's visceral. <laughs> like I love knowing that you describe the texture of the walls. Mm. I was like, oh my God, of course you did. Of course you did because it's just <laughs> oozing and that's so fun. Uh, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit about what it was like getting back some of those early drawings from mm. Mervyn of characters, of settings and and like how that felt for you as a creator. Yeah, it's it's really exciting because I'm just as a fictionist and poet just working with language you know um what the picture I have in my head is different from the picture the reader will have in their heads and I have no control over that and I shouldn't you know um yeah it's like a collaboration with the reader whereas um you have the comic book and what you see is what you get and that is a, a different experience for me um it's funny also um just the difference between the media uh, that we work with, um, with fiction, you can't really, quote unquote, hide things in the background because the moment you write about something, it's in the spotlight, you know, like you right, can't write, right. like, um, yeah, like <laughs> you can't write, it's hard to write a jump scare <laughs> in a horror novel. Um, but now that when we were working on the comic book, it's like you can add like little Easter eggs. I Mervin peppered this um, comic book with, um, you know, things that are important to him. I think like his cat is um, on the cover. Like you'll see it like on the like missing cat. Oh yeah, <laughs> something like. I yeah. was gonna ask about the missing cat poster. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cute. Oh, I'm so happy to know that. <laughs> Yeah, and um, yeah, and there would be like Easter eggs from his own comic book series. So that's that's the part that's exciting to me. Yeah, and then um, when he talked about his plan about you know how it's going to be colored, yeah, it's just it's, it's just so cool. Um, but I also feel for the artist because you know like the the writer can like write one line and be like. Um, yeah, he's walking down the street and there's a lot of people there and he's like, oh, fuck, now I need to write. I need to draw a crowd. <laughs> there's a lot of work. <laughs> it makes you really appreciate like an animated series when yeah. like the crowd is still. It's like, I get why. <laughs> yes. It's so hard to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's always been fun. It's funny. Um, okay, going on a tangent again. Because um, I also write, uh, I wrote one act plays that were uh, staged in Mandela. And just thinking about, because I write in English and characters are speaking in English. But it's strange when I started writing one act plays and I imagined myself, because as a writer, you would join the rehearsals and, you know, give your insights and all that. And just imagining myself sitting in an auditorium, watching people on stage saying my words, and I can't imagine them speaking in English for some reason. Like that, so I was like, I can't write this one act play in English. So they have to be speaking Filipino. And that's still something that I'm sort of figuring out why that is. Like anything performed in real time. In the same space as myself, I can't imagine them speaking English. Whereas if it's in a short story or in this comic book, I'm totally fine with it, thinking that it's all in translation, you know? It's just strange. It is. And I think it raises a really interesting idea, which is like, tell me if I'm being too heady, y'all. <laughs> no. I'm kind of like a fan of the idea of like all creation is translation. Yes. Because... Yes. It never matches exactly what's in my head because right. what's in my head is full of, you know, <laughs> lies I tell myself and millions of other things that like, you know, logical fallacies I walk through through my day, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so it's interesting thinking about writing in multiple languages, writing in English mm. as a person who I'm guessing it's not your first language. No. And so I'm curious there, like, are there things that you... Like there were a couple, there was not very much, but there were a few times in after Lambana mm. that people spoke, was it, I'm not sure what language it was, to be honest, but yeah. like there was like a couple of words that weren't in English. And I'm curious, when are those moments? Like, when do you feel like there's a need to bring in that, that multilingual piece? And 
Yeah, I guess I just also am like, what's it like writing in English? Like, tell me about the whole experience because I'm sure it's a little bit weird and a little bit mm. fun maybe. Yeah, so um, I guess I can start with how I started my reading life in English because my parents bought like um, when I was really young, a full set of encyclopedia and Harvard classics, you know, <laughs> um, some Shakespeare and all that. Um, yeah, and I remember flicking through the pages and this is me like really like maybe six or seven years old and getting frustrated because I can't understand the language. Um, and then suddenly, you know, learning English and everything clicks into place. And it just, it's like, I remember that moment really clearly. Um, I don't remember much about my childhood, you know, like growing older, <laughs> just losing memories. And, um, but I remember that moment clearly because it's like magic. Because one moment I don't understand what's on the page and then suddenly I like the world opens up, you know, um, I have to say, though, English is the language of business in the Philippines. Um, it still has that, um, I guess, weird connotation of if you speak English, you're well educated. And that's where my parents are also coming from. Like this will give you economic advancement. So that's I guess why I started reading in English and then later on writing in English and and having that dream of being published in English, which is that right or wrong? I mean, I, uh, up to now, it's still a struggle with me. Like, why am I, why am I not writing in Filipino? Um, although I did write those one-act plays in Filipino because I can't think of any other way to, to write them. Um, yeah, so as to deciding when to have those multilingual moments in stories. Sometimes there are moments when you can't just translate an emotion or it's more than a word, more than just the word that you're using. You can't just translate an emotion perfectly. So I have to switch to my my first language, which is Filipino. Yeah. Um, and it's also like um, like a like a friendly wave to a Filipino reader, I guess. Um, <laughs> reading the story being like, oh, oh, there you go. Yeah, I understand that completely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but as far as if you're asking for like structural rules, I have, I have no idea. Sometimes, it, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just, sometimes it's just, oh, it feels right to put that here. No, it's just, that's what I was going to guess yeah. is that there are just yeah. these moments where it's like, oh, that's, well, that's what needs to be there. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Yeah. Um, yeah, I find that it's it's always funny talking to creatives because, to some degree, we're all kind of I don't know, like we're making up some of the stuff, right? Because yeah. like I don't know why I choose X Y Z and whatever moment exactly, but I can probably rationalize it pretty well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always yeah. It's funny because um. Oh my god, when you write about what you're doing. I mean, I went to grad school, so you have to do something like that. Like you have the creative work and then you you need to write your exegesis and explain where this is all coming from. But I'm like, fuck if I know. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so sometimes... Fuck sometimes, if I know. Yeah, so sometimes even that part feels like a creative piece of work because you're like, all right, let's put some theory in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me apply theory to my own brain. I know, but that's, that's not how, yeah, that's not how creative writing works. Like it doesn't, sometimes you just can't explain it. Yeah, yeah isn't it fun though whenever somebody asks you something and they're like, yeah, I noticed that you like did this and that was probably tied <laughs> yeah. to this other thing that you did. And you're just like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I did that on purpose. Let's go ahead and know. assign me the genius award today because I, I clearly <laughs> knew the allegory I was putting into this piece of writing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's add it to my canon. <laughs> I didn't know I was writing in this moment. <laughs> You're talking a lot about like theory and stuff, and it's obvious mm. we're all we're all big readers, right? So I'm thinking yeah. too about all of the times where I'll be reading something and it's just like you know whatever um, Virginia Woolf revisited these <laughs> themes, or you know it's like those kind of things yeah. where like they're always kind of dissecting somebody's output, mm. and you're just like, oh, I hope, I hope no one does that to me because like <laughs> I don't want to know, I don't want to know. <laughs> Did 
Didn't that happen to you recently, Sarah? Someone was like, you always deal with these themes. And you were like, shh, 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 shh. I was like, what? Do not tell me. Um, that's a surprise. <laughs> oh, I was I like, that's it. awesome of me. Like, that sounds great. <laughs> It's all, you know, like just coming from the unconscious, like you're not not like actively planning to just write about these themes, you know, when you start your writing career, you're like, yeah, it's just hard to explain sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. It's like hard enough to just get words on a page. Like, Mm. trust me, I don't know if I'm doing all that. Yeah, I heard that (laughs) Melville was like shocked whenever people told him that Moby Dick is allegorical. (laughs) And... (laughs) I was like, I'm hard, writing about this. Yeah. Hard relate, dude. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. But of course you read it and you're like, oh, yeah, the white whale, right? Like, you know, that's become <laughs> such like a classically allegorical. <laughs> yeah. Thing. But yeah, I don't know. I guess like if you just read Moby Dick as like two dudes who like are kind of flirting with each other <laughs> and like a sick whale situation and like having a great time on a boat. <laughs> Like, then that's awesome, too, honestly. So it's like you don't necessarily need the theory, like, added to everything, but it is fun to dive into, right? (laughs) Yeah, true. Uh, It's funny because I think in a conversation with another writer friend, I was talking about um, publishing as like a conversation. But the thing is, when a reader picks up your work, you're not there. Yeah. So it's not. (laughs) It's not really a conversation. <laughs> You're not part of it. So, yeah. Yeah. And I guess... You're not part of it. <laughs> it's so real. Like close, it's so real. They're closing the door on you. Like, literally, you're just yes. like, what are you thinking? What do you think about it? Do you want to, like, talk about it? And like, they're, like, bye. slowly closing the door, like, awkwardly. Like, <laughs> let me just be alone with the book, okay? And you're just like, oh, yeah. okay. I guess. <laughs> Text me your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> They're closing the door and being like, oh, this is about two men falling in love. And you're like, no, it's about a white whale. <laughs> it's just a whale. <laughs> <laughs> the, oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> oh, man, that is so funny. Okay, well, I'm going to totally do what we just made fun of. Uh, because... <laughs> I want to talk about how one of the big pieces of after Lambana mm. is the is the after, right? So this is a time when the Magic Prohibition Act is in place. Mm-hmm. And so the Diwada are, you know, they're on the ropes, let's say. Yeah. They're being hunted, arrested, left and right. And so there's this sort of underground feel mm-hmm. to the whole thing. And I'm I'm so curious, the whole graphic novel is what I mean by thing. Um, I'm so curious, you know, wh- what was it that was for you important about having the Magic Prohibition Act in place at the time of the, the book unfolding? Yeah, so um, when I started writing the comic book script, I think that would be around oh, ages ago, right? Like 2013, something like that. I mean... Um, the Philippines is not in a good place politically, socially, um, financially, I guess I would say. So it's just part of my lived experience, that kind of oppression and that kind of just feeling of hopelessness and loss of control, I guess. So that's why, I mean, this is about a city populated with magical creatures. But I was just thinking, like, I wonder what it would feel like to have this magnificent creatures, I would say, transported to a place where I'm living. You know, like how would they, how will they make rent? Like how, how are they going to find a job? Um, how are they going to deal with crime? So that's what I found important, like having that juxtaposition between um, something ethereal and magical and something very, well, I guess mundane, but also dangerous. Yes. It's that it's one of the things that I love about urban fantasy, which is the ability to go to fantastical, you know, worlds, characters, creatures, and they need a job. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's such a that's a real tension, right? Like that is one of the big stressors of my life is (laughs) How to make money, right? Yeah. And so I think that what's so cool about setting this during that time of the Prohibition Act Mm. is that for me it feels really relevant to today, 
mm-hmm. while being yeah. distinctly different from. So I can get why some people are like, oh, I could see some of these things happening anywhere. Mm. Again, less so with the comic. But what I think is so, forgive me, magical about including the Magic Prohibition Act is that it reflects the world we live in. It reflects what it's like to be a person who cares about other people, who's mm-hmm. progressive, who maybe has what I would call magical identities, being queer, trans, being any kind of minority in a system. And it it gives us that sort of sense of like, oh, we're all part of something here. Mm. But what I also am obsessed with in After Lumbana is like, it is tragic. (laughs) There are tragic turns throughout, but it's lyrical at the same time. And I just... I'll venture a guess. I feel like some of that is your tone. Mm. I think that's some of the way you write. I I noticed that in Wounded Little Gods, that same sort of like tragedy with magic sort of mixed all together and then like presented in this very lyrical way. And I think it makes it where I can go to really intense places with the narrative Mm. because it's still stunning the whole time. Like – the guy, oh my God, the fucking <laughs> opening with like, oh, do you know what happens if you're killed by a sirena? Yeah. And it's like, you are, you die standing up and then you turn yeah. the page and it's like that, that guy and you're like, whoa, <laughs> this is cool. <laughs> Can I just say, I mean, that opening um, line that came from, that's directly lifted from a story told to me by my mother. So I guess I have, I forgot to mention that in the beginning, my background, um, so I, my family, my, my mother's family is from Cagayan Valley. This is in the northern Philippines. So rural area, you know, and there are a lot of like supernatural folk beliefs that are still around. And I grew up in a household with those beliefs. Um, it's funny when you, you, and you talk about like fantasy, um, speculative fiction, like there's this, great divide between what is considered realistic and what's considered um, non-realistic or fantastical. But in my household growing up, they're one and the same. Like, that is reality. Like, having mermaids killing you and you dying standing up, that's real. That's from, yeah, that's from their stories. So there, for, from my mother, my mother's perspective, that really happened. So it's like, yeah. I love that. I love mm-hmm. the idea of these lines we make up, yes. right, of like, oh, this is speculative. Oh, this is real. This is not yeah. real. It's like, well, who really made those rules, <laughs> right? Like, I think we all know it was a bunch of old white guys. <laughs> like, and they're dead. So who cares what they think? I guess that that tragic tone of just someone coming after a great age, like, some, sometimes I feel that. I mean, living in the year of our Lord, 2022, <laughs> As a woman and a Filipino, um, it just feels like I came too late for the great party, you know, like everyone's already had their fun and I'm just oh, here trying. All right. Like it's just me. Here's Here I am trying to make rent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it reminds me of, uh, I don't know, it was like a tweet I saw where someone mm. was like, you know, it's just trying to survive another terrible thing <laughs> that is life-changing, globe-altering, mm. and it's just another day in 2022. Yep. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, in Sydney, we've had, like, a lot of rain. I mean, not this week, but in previous weeks. And they would say, um, once in a century, rainfall, blah, blah. And I was like... um. We've had this once in a century rainfall three times this year, guys. Like, what is happening? <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah. I re- that happened in my neighborhood here in, oh. in Denver. There was a, a bunch of city planning around like, oh, we need to be prepared for a once in a century storm. <laughs> and, it, and it was like kind of, it was kind of feeling like, do you not have the facts I have? Because... <laughs> do you not know about global climate change? (laughs) Because that's not going to be how it is anymore. And it already isn't how it is. Yeah, true. Yeah. So weird. People are like in the far off future, hundreds of years from now. And we're like, no, like today, like today, (laughs) like 10 years ago, actually. Can we talk about this? 
There's a lot of conversation about how sci-fi kind of takes like dystopian themes. And I'm like, sometimes I feel like dystopian reality is taking notes from sci-fi though, because like (laughs) you're constantly just kind of like, oh man, this seems like not, like it almost couldn't be real or something. And then it's like just kind of something that people are like, uh, so happy to just kind of put aside or something and be like, oh, not looking at that. Like global crisis is going to like climate <laughs> crisis is going to affect all of us. Right. Um, mm. But and it already is like it's affecting uh, it's going to, you know, affect different communities differently. But it's something that's already such a big deal. And it's definitely something where people are like, could we focus on like building a spaceship <laughs> to Mars or something? And it's like, could we focus <laughs> on like fixing anything first like maybe I don't know question mark yeah (laughs) I'll just pretend that was a question (laughs) no I I I was just thinking about that too um because science fiction because I also write science fiction but I feel like science fiction in the Philippines is very I mean you're writing about the future but you're very concerned with what's happening in the present yeah um, yeah, especially with all of those disasters because the Philippines gets a lot of storms every year and it feels like every year it's getting worse and worse, you know. Um, and it's funny when you mentioned, um, you know, building a spaceship to to Mars because I was just, uh, I've been rattling around this idea in my head because um, the tropes that I guess Western science fiction is sort of over with, like, robots and um, space programs and all that. Those are the tropes that I personally embrace because it's like an act of subversion in a way Mm -hmm. because the Philippines is not known as like this great center of scientific development. So at least, I I guess, just thinking that at least in my fiction, it can be. Like I can imagine it as that, you know? Yeah. Anyway. No, that's (laughs) super interesting. I was like, Beep, 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 beep. 17 more questions. <laughs> like, yeah, same. My brain was like, must upload. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I am a robot. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, well, we have, you know, a good friend of the pod is Stephanie Williams, and, mm. and she's been on a bunch of different times. We love her. Does great comics. She has uh, been writing Nubia and has, like, mm. a million things on the horizon. Yeah. I'm always like, Steph, what? how are you not – do you sleep? <laughs> and um, one of the things she talked about is she was like, why is it that right when people of color, black people, mm. Filipino people, mm. right when we get to telling the stories, we get a chance to finally tell the stories that are tropes you've been playing with. Yeah. Y'all decide they're no longer cool. Yeah. I wonder why that is. Hmm. <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a big believer of like, we haven't even seen the best of what genre can do. Oh, absolutely. The more it becomes yeah. diversified in every sense of the word, the mm. more that we get stories that... Like you were saying, like where you grew up with the discussions of the Serena, not yeah. as like some other thing, but as quite real. Yeah. Those stories just make the whole world of science fiction, fantasy, and horror just so much richer. Yeah. And I, I'm personally, I'm a big fan. I'm like, Aww. yes, <laughs> let's hear some different stories, some different takes. <laughs> I have to say, after Lambana impressed the mm-hmm. hell out of me, like I knew Aww. I was going to like it. You know, I'm like, oh. Myth and Magic in Manila, sign me up. With gorgeous you know, art, yeah. I was reading it and, <laughs> yeah, on the art and the cover, I mean, all of it. But, like, it is probably my my favorite comic that I've read this year. Oh, thank and, you. Yeah, I mean, you know, don't, no one can hold me to that because I can't think of any other comics I've read this year at the moment. But I, I really was, you know, reading it this week again and just like, wow. <laughs> every page turn, every panel is just so rich and so I'm a little bit curious Mm -hmm. like do you feel like your script was really long oh to be honest I I didn't think so yeah because um I also like because this is a new challenge for me writing a comic book script but I just to make sure that I'll finish it I was like I need to put another constraint on myself so I was like this will just happen Mm. in one night you know, so it's just going to be this. Smart, yeah, yeah, it's going to be this road trip, just so I can actually finish this freaking thing. <laughs> I relate to that deeply. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I I don't think it was very long. Um, I can't remember how many. Pa- I, I won't be able to tell you. I'll have to look through my, my <laughs> no old worries. files. Yeah. I was just curious. 
because you were saying, you know, you you put so much description yeah. in the panels and the pages and the and so I can kind of I'm like, oh wow, I want to I want to see the script. I'm like, hmm, Eliza. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny, you know, because well, going into the script, I was primarily a fictionist, so I was like putting quote-unquote craft into the descriptions and then later on I was like the reader's not going to see this Mervyn's going to see this it has to be like <laughs> understandable to the artist because at some point I think he was like what do you mean by this and I was oh like gosh. being so metaphorical and all that and I'm like oh no <laughs> it'll be a little bit more straightforward you yeah. know that's so funny to hear Sarah and I also work on fiction podcasts mm. and she was reading one of my scripts and she was like so <laughs> A bunch of the stuff that's important to the script isn't happening yeah. in the audio format. It's in the script. And I was like, oh, yeah. No one's reading the script yes. except yep. us. Okay. Good point. <laughs> yeah. And then, so it's always funny. Yeah. And so later on in the script, I was just like, uh, here's like a peg. <laughs> here's a visual peg for, for this particular panel. Here's a link to, you know, <laughs> some color palettes for you. <laughs> yeah. So I just made it really straightforward. Um, in terms of, we were discussing, you know, the, the, the themes or the topics of After Lambana. Talking about the overarching themes of like oppression and and crime and all that. But I'm also, I mean, the main question, I guess, that, that propels the story is just a question about redemption. Like, how do you ask forgiveness after a great wrong, you know? Um, when's the moment when you feel like you're forgiven? That sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And like, can you really fix things you done? Yeah. Can you really fix that? Yeah. After, mm. yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. <laughs> I got chills. I'm like, oh God, you're right. That is, that is what it is about. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I mean, it has all of the, the good stuff, you know, but it's also primarily a very human story. Like, um, yeah, the story of redemption is, that's always been, I guess, a preoccupation with me human interaction and all that, no matter how fantastical the stories become, it always comes down to to that, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I, I, and tell me where I'm wrong, but it seems to me like part of the human condition is hurting each other. Yeah. And, yeah. and in more or less malicious ways, right? Mm. Like you can <laughs> intentionally hurt people and accidentally and yeah. sometimes both, right? And I think that that is what makes it so rich is like that twist I was telling you before we started <laughs> recording that twist and I was like oh no. <laughs> it was so delightful on the page and and it really did make me think about those questions of what does it mean to make up for something terrible you've done yeah. and can you yeah that's true and it's just it's just coming from you know this one character who's like who does something in the moment because they want something right away and then suddenly being faced with the consequences of that action down the line and being horrified by it. And then, yeah, and it's just their journey of now what? Now what's next? Yeah. Well, and I think that's that's something that I felt was really different in After Lambana. Mm. And, and not than everything, but then in mm. a lot of narratives we read around redemption where it's like, oh, they had a reason for doing what they did, mm. so it's okay. <laughs> and in this, it's like, they had a reason and they should have been a lot more patient. Yeah. Because that actually didn't solve the problems yeah. at all. Yeah. <laughs> and I loved, I loved that. I, I love when a character makes a mistake and is so sure of it mm. right until the second they aren't, you know? Yeah. They're like, oh, shit, <laughs> that wasn't the right call. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really beautiful. And, and And I don't know, it's nice to really see... Honestly, like male characters being apologetic mm. and being remorseful, like not just like, I was right and I'm always right. You know, like, that was really cool too. Aw, thanks. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. 
It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I hope to open the conversation about working parents a bit. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier, to find out how they balance being a dad with a successful career. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, it's me, Sarah Century. You might know me as the other person who's been talking on this podcast. <laughs> you know, me. So <laughs> I'm asking once again, <laughs> the Bernie Sanders meme. <laughs> I'm asking once again to rate. I am asking once again to review. Rate and review our podcast, which, you know, if you're still listening, I'm hoping that you're having a good time. If you're arguing with us in your apartment, that's okay, because sometimes I listen to podcasts to argue with them in my apartment by myself in the audience of my cats, too. Perhaps I've said too much, but if you... <laughs> oh, I don't have anywhere to go after this other than go ahead and rate and review, won't you? Is it time to talk about Wounded Little Gods? <laughs> Are we there? <laughs> yes, we have to before we close That's out. Right. We must, we must. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this one just came out. So I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about, I mean, just, right. It, it was out in May, I believe. But, <laughs> you know, new to me. And so I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the process of writing this book. So Wounded Little Gods and After Lambana came out at this, um, the same year in the Philippines. And just because of the nature of comic book collaboration, it took longer for After Lambana to go into production. So it was written first, but they just ended up being published the same year, um, 2016. And then they were later on picked up by Tuttle for um, international um, publication. So when, right before Wounded Little Gods, I was talking about Dwellers. So that's the book that came out before this. And Dwellers was primarily set in the city. And I just have this thing where I'm like, okay, I wrote the book um, in an urban area and I'm like, now I need to go to the province. So Wounded Little Gods is primarily set in the province. And it's the town is called Heridos. It's based on the town, my hometown, you know, my where I grew up. Um, and I think I put more of myself in the character Regina than in the other other characters that I've written about. Like, we share the same background about, you know, her father working abroad and the parents, like, owning a store in the market, that sort of thing. Um, and I guess for this project, I was thinking of, like, combining elements of sci-fi because Wounded Little Gods talks about um, questionable medical experiments, but also a bit of fantasy because it features um, gods and goddesses from the Tagalog pantheon, which people don't know much about anymore. Um, we always say that even Filipinos know more about Greek and Roman gods than our own ancient gods and goddesses. So I thought it'd just be interesting to sort of bring them back to life in a in a story that is and can be entertaining um yeah at the same time thought-provoking I guess yeah <laughs> I just love the voice in this book so so much so it's just like <laughs> I don't know like 
Where is it? Okay, yeah. No, no, it's like from the first paragraph where it's like, okay, there's, you know, spirits used to roam the town of Eridos. And then there's like a little bit of description. And then it's like, well, we already know this. She knows this. But <laughs> she needs to stay awake. So from the top. And I was like, oh, my God. That's exactly what I want to hear is like. This, this woman who's just like, I am going to stay conscious, you know, <laughs> like, I am going to get through this. And she keeps that energy going. It's just, it's a really fun read. I found it very, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm still reading it as I, as I share, but I'm finding it very, like, quickly paced and just also lyrical. Mm. So it also is, you know, I, I um how to put it like I sit in the moment with each each piece because it's like the words are oh, so amazing. fun I'm I don't know I guess we're at the point of the podcast where I'm just gonna like compliment you a lot um because I'm like obsessed <laughs> I love it my favorite part <laughs> you're like and this is the part I was waiting for I'm like what you don't know is we have this part even when you're not here <laughs> <laughs> yeah I guess about the tone so it's the character is again like um shares the same background as myself because I grew up in the province and then like most um, young adults in the Philippines, like you live in the province, there's not a lot of opportunities there. So you go to university in the city where they all are, they're just all there. So I guess in a way you have no choice if you want to, um, you know, earn more money, um, make your way out in the world. So same thing, like I, my life was split between the province and the city and the voice is just of someone who's just sort of exhausted already. <laughs> like this person is just starting her career, but she's also like very jaded and just over it all. So yeah, I guess, um, yeah, I guess that's where that tone is coming from. Just someone snarky and yeah. just World weary, like she's yeah. fucking yeah. over it. She's not putting yes. up with your bullshit. I, I mean, especially in like a female protagonist, that is like mwah, everything mm. I'm looking for. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so fun. I love how like, she's just like annoyed. She's just like, ugh. Everyone yes. is ugh. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I've been on Twitter today and I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, so just someone, um, yeah, I, I did have fun writing this character because she's, Regina is, you know, headstrong and she sticks to her values, which is, yeah, I mean, I can say that about myself most days. <laughs> yeah, but she's like, yeah, this is, this is wrong and, you know, um, we need to make things right. And even when she's facing like, because it features like gods and goddesses, as I've mentioned earlier, she's, she's facing like entities of great power, but she's also just like, I'm over it. <laughs> you know? Well, in yeah. that cover... That cover where she's just pointing yeah. and I'm like, she's going to kick someone's ass. Like, I am, <laughs> I'm ready for it. <laughs> yeah, and I guess um, just thinking about um, Wounded Little Gods in relation to After Lambana, because After Lambana you have male friendship. And in Wounded Little Gods, I just wanted to show female friendship, you know? Um, yeah, and friendship, I think, is, is not a topic that most beginning writers think about like maybe they go straight to romance and all that but I'm I've always been fascinated with stories of friendship and how even friends hurt each other you know so yeah I love stories about friendship I think it's it's so nice because it really is anything like something that anybody can read right like everybody mm. has friends even if you don't have romantic partners or don't want them you know and I think that's mm. that makes it so fun it just is like there's something to bite into, I guess, is the way that I would put it. Yeah, Regina's yeah. A, a a trip. I love her. <laughs> I love how pissed off she is. I'm like, yeah, same zoos. Um, in comparison <laughs> to like Conrad over and after, after Lambana, who's kind of like resigned about like what's yeah. happening. And he's like, well, I guess that's just the way it is. She's like, fuck yeah. you, fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so it's really fun. True. Yeah. Hey, relatable, relatable, right? Um, so we've talked oh my gosh we've talked so much we've talked about obviously both these works that are so cool now I have to go read Dwellers I'm so excited for that uh, you know talking about we've talked about working in different media and including yeah. playwriting working in multiple languages I'm curious I, I as you both know um, my dogs are being a little bit of jerks because the time change but I, I wanted to ask 
if we haven't, if you could talk just a little bit about your creative process, like how, how, like, do you just force words out? Do you have like a, <laughs> you do? like, is it like, sometimes are you inspired and you're like, this book just poured out of me? I don't know. Just like mm. generally talk to me about your creative process. Yeah, I guess the process of creating um, the work differs per book. Like I, ha- I would say Dwellers sort of feels like it wrote itself. Like um, from conception to the final piece that came out, it was exactly the way I wanted, I guess. That's not always the case. <laughs> Most times it's like pulling teeth. Um, um, what, what I always say is I don't start anything unless I know how it's going to end. Like no matter how vague the ending is, I need to know where I'm going. And I think it also helps me clarify if I have enough of a story of, or if maybe I need to think more about it. I need to go back to the drawing board and all that. Um, and then I spend a really long time on the first few paragraphs. Like I feel like, so now I have a premise. I know the ending, presumably. Um, and now I need to nail the opening and yeah, so I sometimes I spend like just weeks agonizing over that first page, and then once that feels right, I feel like it's um some you know like smooth sailing. After that, um, there would be moments of like I just run into a wall and I don't know what to do. I usually just step back and um like watch a movie or read another you know consume another person's story. And maybe that will um, loosen something up in myself creatively. And that's when I can go back to, to writing it. I have to say, though, that um, my creative process really got disrupted during the pandemic. So there's I'm working currently on a horror novel. But I feel like I've been wrestling with it for a really long time just because um, of everything that's been happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but now I feel like I'm back in the groove and it's enjoyable again. I feel like um, from 2020 onwards, just dealing with the global health crisis and all that, um, just all of that disruption and uncertainty, um, writing felt like another chore to take off. So the it lost its pleasure for a moment there. But then I feel like I've gotten it back and hopefully it won't leave <laughs> anytime soon yeah um it's it, yeah it's funny because um you know we have this language about essential non-essential people or occupations or tasks um and I feel like when the pandemic started writing fell under the non-essential column you know in my mind but later on I realized you know what yeah it's making me happy, actually. So it's actually essential. Like, I actually need to write in order to move forward. So that's moved on now to the essential column. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm writing again and enjoying it. So, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of the thing about the essential, non-essential, right? Is, is that you have mm-hmm. this, I, I think, honestly, perhaps our entire society has this idea that art is kind yeah. of like a non-essential or kind of like, elite or you know all of these like misconceptions of what purpose it actually serves but yeah the whole time you know even in the times that I was less creative you know because mm. there was to me uh, this feeling of people are a little bit shittier than I thought they were right because like <laughs> here people were making like a huge deal out of like just wearing a mask you know yeah. and like yeah you know just basic things that you could do to kind of like help other people was something that people were just like not doing and they were like fighting doing it and so yeah. I think when it's like that it's easy to be like people suck you know and just yeah. run with it and then it's like what makes me believe in people again and again and again. And literally it's it's interacting with people, of course, having the people who you like know are not mm-hmm. out here mm-hmm. 
creating intentional harm, but then you have Mm. art just telling you, you know, like either if it's you, then you get to kind of play around with it and create this world where it can just be whatever you want it to be. And then if you are reading something else, even things that are like overall pretty bleak, it can really distract you from Mm. the feelings of, you know, like kind of hopelessness and, you know, we're, we're like losing so many people and like, nobody is doing anything to stop it. And the people who are doing something to stop it, like they're trying so hard and people aren't listening to them and, you know, (laughs) all of those kind of bleak things. And then like you read a story about, you know, something that has nothing to do with that. And it can really be like, yeah, just something that like alleviates a lot of the stress, I think. So I think I, I think I understand what you're saying, where it's just like, it, it is essential because this is like the land of dreams, right? It's like what you mm. need to survive. Yeah. And just, um, yeah, and it's it can be fun. And I think that's what I lost during that time, just mm. um, worrying about what, what you need like in the moment, you know, like you need urgently. Um, it's funny because I remember, so just being in like in a dark place and then reading an interview with this Australian author named Tegan Daylight, which is an amazing name, right? (laughs) Um, So it's an interview with her. It's an old interview and she's talking about her writing process and working on on a work of fiction. And then she's saying in the interview, oh, when I reread this part, I remember just having fun, you know, with this dialogue or with the way I described this thing. And I was like, Oh yeah, I used to feel like that. <laughs> I should go back to that. Like, yeah, this is fun. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, the, I, I guess because um, I get asked this also, like a message to you know um, young writers, people who are just starting to um, maybe their writing career or um, trying their hand in um, writing short stories and all that. It's fun, you know. If it's not fun. Um, what's the point? <laughs> yeah. You're never going to make it if you're not having fun with it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you get to a place where you just, um, it has to be something that you're doing very much for yourself. I think we talked about that a little yes. bit. We did an interview with Carmen Maria Machado where she was like, mostly mm. there's like going to be a part of you that's just writing to you. <laughs> and like yes. That's good. Like yeah. embrace that basically. Very much paraphrasing. Um, people can go back and listen to that interview to hear what Carmen Maria Machado actually said, as opposed to what I have decided Carmen Maria Machado said, um, which is often not the same thing that I, that was intended. Um, (laughs) yeah, definitely. I mean, um, writing in this genres and setting it in the Philippines, you know, I can just, I mean, I'm writing in English, I could have just written about Americans in in the U.S. and maybe sell more. I don't know. <laughs> but the thing is, I am writing this to myself and also to my younger self, I guess. Like, these are titles that the younger me wasn't really able to find in the bookstores or even in the secondhand bookshops that I go to because that's all my allowance can cover, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so I am writing for myself and I guess the point of publishing them I mean I can just write them literally just for myself and just keep them in a drawer in my desk (laughs) but the point of publishing them is just adding to that to that conversation um in the science fiction as a you know science fiction fantasy community that there's this other voice that can um you know take part in the dialogue um, this other experience that maybe not a lot of people are aware of. So, Well, I, yeah. for one, am very glad that even though you are writing for yourself, you publish because <laughs> these books, I love them. Yeah. I love them so much. They're very dear to me. Oh, thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love to hear what you have going on, um, what, what kind of we can look forward to in the future. And I also was curious, because you've done so many works across different mediums, is there mm-hmm. a medium that you haven't tried that you would like to try? Oh, great question. <laughs> um, I guess what I have going on. So I am, I've mentioned previously, working on a horror novel now. Um, I do want to finish the first draft 
at least, I don't know, I mean, it's already November, right? I was saying, <laughs> oh, this year, I want to finish it this year. So we'll see in the next few weeks yeah. if I can finish it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's what I'm working on. I'm very excited about it. Um, I, I do feel that I'm growing as a writer and I I think this is maybe my strongest story yet. So I'm excited to sh- to be able to... Well, first finish it <laughs> and then share it with everyone. Yeah, you else. have to come back. We love horror. So you'll have to come back to the pod. We can't wait to talk about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to. Yeah, yeah. So uh, as for other mediums, um, I would love to, because I, right now, I, I mean, like most everyone, right? Just watching a lot of shows and movies, like maybe, yeah, something like that. Like write something for film. Or a TV show, that'd be quite interesting, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want that very much. So, your universe, <laughs> uh, Eliza's ready. We're yes. all ready. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Eliza, this has been just delightful you are so funny I like my stomach hurts from laughing so hard um you know you you have such wonderful stories we are so so pleased to have you here today listeners make sure you check out both wounded little gods and after lumbana we will have links to both in the show notes so if you didn't have a chance to write those down no worries just hit the three little dots and we will share that Eliza, we will also share any social media and website uh, handles you have. But did you want to share any of those now? Do you want folks to follow you on social or anything? Oh, yeah, sure. You can just visit um, ElizaVictoria.com. It has links to everything else. Like brilliant. um, Yeah, it's all there. (laughs) That makes my life easier when I go put those show notes together. Yeah. (laughs) So if you didn't have a pen, listeners, we will have a link to Eliza's website as well. And from there, you can go find where she's at on social. Sarah, thank you as always. You're a delight. Kate, thank you for making us sound great. Patrons, listeners, we could be here without you, but that'd be so strange. So thank you so much for being here with us. And again, Eliza, I just can't thank you enough. This has been the highlight of my day very easily. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at, at @bitchesoncomics and on Instagram at, at @bitchesoncomics. Our website is brace yourself bitchesoncomics.com. If you go there, you can listen to any of our episodes. And we've got other shit that we put on tabs. I don't remember what it is. I am in charge of updating the website, however, so good luck. Thanks for the heads up. I'll go to this website now. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. 
And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.